Shattered contains graphic language and adult themes. On July 15, 1976, a complaint report was filed with the Michigan Department of State Police. The nature of the complaint, criminal sexual conduct in the first degree. Frank Sheldon and Gerald Richards had just returned to the mainland after taking four boys from St. Joe's Catholic School to North Fox Island for a three-day trip. Michael Dunsmore, Bill Johnson, and two other boys were put through horrible, unforgettable, life-altering experiences. One of the two unnamed boys would tell his mother the harrowing story. What she heard was enough for her to call authorities. According to the police report, her son told her that he slept in the same bed as Frank Sheldon. This was on North Fox Island. That he, the boy, wasn't allowed to sleep in any of the empty beds. The boy said during both nights on the island, Frank Sheldon rubbed his back and played with his penis while they were in bed. The boy also said Frank Sheldon placed the boy's hand on Sheldon's penis and also tried to have anal intercourse with the child, but the boy refused to cooperate. This particular boy would go on to tell police about the cabins on the island, Frank's Jeep, the airstrip, and how Sheldon liked to take the boys hiking. He would also talk about Gerald Richards, his gym teacher. He told them Richards liked to be in the room when the young men showered at school. You can tell police knew they were onto something because they started to find other children that would talk about Gerald Richards. One told the story of how Richards told a couple kids at St. Joe's Catholic School that he needed to fit them for athletic supporters. So he got a ruler out to measure the boy's genitals. The same kid talked about being lured to Richards' house, getting talked into a massage in Richards' basement in which the windows were painted so nobody could see in. He said Richards molested him. And then the boy says he swung at Richards, and Richards stopped. The boy said he was too embarrassed at the time to tell anyone afterwards. It's almost like they had their own little secret society. Former St. Joe student Michael Dunsmore was able to see how Frank Sheldon and Gerald Richards' behavior maybe resembled that of the Oakland County child killer. So they had their own little, their own little inner circle, and it, they tried to keep everything within that. And when, when I had heard that these kids were, were killed, my first impression as an adult was, okay, these kids were going to squeal on them, so we need to shut them up because we don't want anything happening. Um, and then I was, then I got to thinking, that could have been us, so easily. I mean, what the older boy, the younger boy that we talked about earlier, if something had happened, and now we're in panic mode, and what's are they going to just shut us all up and say, well, they actually they they drowned or what? You know, I don't know. So it's. Uh, for them to be able to, to operate the way they did, probably for as long as they did, um, it's, it's very creepy. The police kept digging. They kept talking to kids in Port Huron. Another boy told police that Gerald Richards had forced him to perform oral sex on Richards. Another talked about being Richard's assistant during magic shows and said Richard's had many photos depicting child pornography. 
The magician's assistant was around for about three years with Richards and was subjected to countless rapes. This boy told police a lot, like when and where things were happening. He said acts occurred in Port Huron and on North Fox Island. On July 23, 1976, the police would arrest Gerald Richards in Port Huron, based on all the information the children gave them. Richards allowed officers to search his car. They found an envelope filled with photos of naked boys. They also found another envelope. It had a name on it. The name was Frank Sheldon. At first, Richards wouldn't allow the officers to open the Sheldon envelope, but reconsidered after being told a search warrant would be served. Inside the envelope, police found a handwritten letter. It was written that day. It was from Richards to Sheldon, and the letter was a warning to Sheldon to watch his phone and his mail, saying to check his files and get all his stuff to North Fox Island. Richards would be questioned further once back at the police station. And when asked if Sheldon himself had any photos or movies of young boys, Richards responded this way, quote, thought he had, however, had never seen them personally, end quote. Richards would go on to talk about Sheldon's philanthropic projects, charitable work with young people. The police report actually says, quote, Richards obviously idolizes him, end quote. Him, of course, being Frank Sheldon. Richards kept going. He told authorities about many other occasions in which Sheldon himself and others engaged in sexual acts with young boys. He told police how Sheldon financed trips for Richards, like one to a magician's convention. Richards was cooperating with police, giving them more information than they could have ever possibly hoped for. Why? Well, Prosecutor Peter Deegan from Port Huron was offering Richards immunity from further prosecution of any nonviolent crimes in exchange for his guilty plea of first-degree sexual conduct with minors and, very importantly, his help in further investigation into others who committed crimes of indecency with minors. Richards took the deal. just like had its own life after the detective made the original arrest of the school teacher and we found pictures um, that, that led us to a Mount Eagle, Tennessee, which then just expanded after they found the boys farm down there. That was retired Michigan State Police Officer, former head of the juvenile unit, Michael Moyes. After Richards and the prosecutor cut the deal, Richards talked freely about Frank Sheldon, the publications he read, and other organizations that existed. It was uh, in the area of pedophilia. There were all kinds of different things that were going out. There was a, uh, a church that uh, pro professed a uh, man-boy love uh, that was good for the child, the man and the boy, but primarily the boy. The church Michael Moyes is referring to is one called The Boys Farm. It was in Tennessee, a place that allegedly took in wayward children to help protect them. But what was really happening was similar to Brother Paul's nature camp on North Fox Island. Children were being sexually violated and filmed for distribution. Richards told police that The Boys Farm was where a lot of pictures were taken for the pedophile magazine, Better Life Monthly. There were many, several, I, I, I don't know exactly how many, publications from various organizations that we 
we got promoting man-boy associations, man-boy love. These magazines help pedophiles and pornographers learn how to recruit kids. Uh, there was publications from various organizations that were in that arena that went out that identified ways that you could infiltrate boys clubs or boy scouts or little league or big brothers and how you could get access to young men um, and again they would have their inner circle of contacts and just like if you know somebody who knows someone else who knows somebody else it, your expand of, of availability is in this case worldwide the police raided the boys' farm in Tennessee. They shut it down in November of 1976. Based on the information they gathered at the boys' farm, they were able to link a Boy Scout group in New Orleans to the ring as well. And it was a trail of falling dominoes. Richards became the ultimate informant for police. Pedophiles and pornographers wealthy enough to do so scattered. We heard that he went to Majorca, which apparently is an island off the coast of Africa, a place I, too, have never been to. Retired Michigan State Police Officer Michael Moy says Frank Sheldon ran to Mallorca, Spain. Authorities tracked him there, but he would continue to move. He went to the Netherlands, where he couldn't be extradited. Fox Island historian Kathy Firestone figured out Sheldon was in the Netherlands and wrote to him there. I wrote to him and asked him some of his um, interests, some of his knowledge about were there any shipwrecks that remains that he saw there, and asking him things about the deer uh, population and uh, other interesting nature things that he might know about that would add to my book. I didn't ask him any questions about um, charges against him. That was being covered very well by other reporters. And uh, he, he did agree to talk to me. He was already in the Netherlands at the time that we communicated. So at the time you knew what was going on and you just opened a line of communication to ask about just other things and he was open to that. Right, I was, I was working on finishing my book and this, the whole child pornography thing was just breaking news at that time and he had disappeared and at least out of sight. Um, I had a lot of just nature photos that I had taken over there and I sent him a box of photos, sent them to his attorney downstate and uh, with my note that I'd like to just ask him some things about, um, you know, the archaeology, the shipwrecks, that sort of thing that might contribute to my book. And he was helpful? He did answer. He said he, he was really not happy about any newspaper people. He didn't have any good words for <laughs> any of them. But he said he would talk to me about the other subjects if I wished. And that's all really I wanted from him. So. When you got something back from him, does your jaw hit the floor? I was kind of surprised, but um, I got a call from the FBI soon after, and I just um, copied my letter to him and France, uh, Sheldon's letter to me and sent them on. I really wasn't worried. I knew I didn't do anything wrong, so. But I would imagine, like anybody, like if, if the FBI called me and I knew it, it's still startling, right? Were you, were you kind of taken aback? Well, I guess I was, I was a little surprised. It wasn't something I thought would happen, so I was surprised when it did, but I, but I wasn't worried about it. 
Frank Sheldon was not only comfortable enough to write Kathy Firestone back, allegedly he was still writing for pedophile magazines when he was on the lam. May 27, 1977. At a hearing to investigate juvenile delinquency, Gerald Richards spoke to the 95th Congress in Chicago. I was able to get the transcript from that hearing. Senator John Culver of Iowa asks Richards, In what year did you actually begin to produce child pornography? Richards responds, I first met a young boy in January of 1973 who became our babysitter and a model. He was 13 or 14 years old and a neighbor. I filmed him for two years, but the material was not sold. Later, Richards was asked how many models he worked with at the high point. I would say that I would have access of 30 models I could work with. Senator Culver asks, Would those mostly be obtained in the Port Huron community? Richards answered, Only about 10. I would think there were only about two or three directly in Port Huron, and the others I got from Pontiac and Detroit area by making arrangements to swap models. Senator Culver would ask Richards if the kids came from familiar backgrounds, and Richards told him yes, very much so. And he would add, What I and anyone else that you have seen getting models would look for would be someone that had a poor family background as far as father image in the home. He went on to say, I had decided in the fall of 1975 that I had to stop this type of activity because I felt I had broken a promise that I had made to get out of the bookstore business before my little boy was born. He was two and a half, and I was still working there. Richards would say his promise was made to God. I've done so much research on this part of the story, the people involved in the island itself. I had to go see it for myself and what traces of Frank Sheldon remained. It has been raining on and off the last week. Okay. That's a little concerning. And we do have a massive rain that's coming this way. In October of 2018, I met Kathy Firestone at Fresh Air Aviation in Charlevoix, Michigan. But I just want you to know where all the toys are at. Other than that, it's only going to be about 11 minutes to get out there. Oh, wow. We flew to the island. And what we found was surprising. I don't remember that looks like this. There's somebody in there? Yeah. <laughs> Hi. We'll be right back. This door open. Please take Kathy Firestone and I had just touched down on North Fox Island. It was fall of 2018 when we made the trip. The fall colors were on full display. We had a small window of time to be there because rain was headed our way. And rain and a grass runway don't mix well. <laughs> Very pretty smooth landing, actually. It was. Oh, dear. All right, so you guys are going to go for a walk about, I imagine. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to rendezvous back here at, uh, what, one hour? 
Our pilot checks with us just before we make our way out. Do you know where we're going from here, like where stuff was? Well, I know the cabin was down that way, and I don't know if that's the path to it. Okay. Before, I think I walked. I don't know. I don't remember. It's a brisk day, wind whipping around. It's hard to hear each other as we head down this path, even though we're just a couple feet away from each other. We're headed towards the southern end of the island, where the main cabin was. No escape. Nobody can hear you if you scream. Yeah, there really is no escape, right? You're here and you're... It's hard to make out what she says, but she's talking about the boys who were brought to the island, saying, no escape, nobody could hear if you were screaming. And she's right. It's isolated. And on this particular day, very windy. Our walk goes on for maybe four or five minutes, and then Kathy looks off to her right, down to the southwest. She was last here in the mid-90s, and she knows the island's layout. She's taking me to the main cabin, where Frank Sheldon set up shop, where unspeakable acts took place with young boys. Along the way, we'd already come across a shed that was left behind by Sheldon. But it seemed that Kathy was starting to doubt her memory, until... Is that a roof over there? It's got to be a roof. Yeah, it's a roof. Now, how in the heck do we get over there is the question. We found our way back to the structure, but it was just the bones of what used to be the main cabin. The mainframe, the metal beams that looked twisted and warped. This place definitely burned down at some point. A concrete slab and a fireplace were all that remained. But we notice a fully intact cabin off to our right. And as we walk over, we notice a modern bag and some lighter fluid. There's somebody in there? Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Inside the cabin, we're greeted by a smiling woman. Hi. Hi. She's reading by the front window. The book looks like it might be an abridged version of the Holy Bible. She begins telling us about her love for the island. Oh, I think. Where are you guys from? We are from Rapid River, Michigan. You know, which is Escanaba. Okay, yeah, yeah. Her name is Faye Marie Ness. Her and her husband frequent the island from spring to summer. So we've come here for all those years. Faye's kids spent a lot of time growing up here. They actually used Frank Sheldon's Jeep, which was left behind on the island. That was here by the first owner. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we would, our kids learned how to drive here on the island. And um, Imagine that, learning how to drive in Frank Sheldon's Jeep. Strange. This cabin we're standing in, it has two bedrooms. It's bisected by a bathroom. In the other bedroom are bunk beds and another twin bed. They look old, and I can't help but wonder if they've been around since the 1970s. And I never got an answer to that. But some guy was doing very bad things to children. The police documents which outline the trip Gerald Richards and Frank Sheldon took to the island with four young boys it shows a diagram of the buildings that are on the island and where everyone slept. This cabin is where Michael Dunsmore and Bill Johnson shared a room. They actually stayed in this room that we're talking to Faye in. And through the bathroom on the other side of this bunkhouse, well, that's where Gerald Richard shared a room and a bed with a 13-year-old boy. It's crazy and awful to think about as I'm standing inside this room. I feel really bad about that, and I can, and it's so sad. It's not just that, it's, I ache for, the kids that were taken advantage of. 
Ness and her husband spend a lot of time here. I mean, it almost looks like they've moved stuff in. And I can't imagine spending the night in a place like this, knowing what happened. I personally didn't like this place. Um, I don't know if it was because of the bad vibes or what for a long time as a Christian, but I think um, personally, I'm over that because my husband... Ness says her and her husband like the island so much that they are willing to overlook the past. For people like Kathy Firestone, the area we're talking about, these islands, they're like home to them. I, I, love, I love all the islands. Leelanau County has five islands. Each one of these islands has its character and its beauty. And it just, you know, I've researched them, I've written about them, and it's just hard to think that such horrible things could have happened in such a beautiful place. Kathy Firestone spent time growing up on islands like South Fox Island. They're part of her life story. It means a lot to you, obviously. It, it does. You're almost emotional about it. It does. I, you know, I've walked the whole perimeter of North Fox Island and South Fox Island, and a lot of the Manitous, not as much, because they're much bigger, but I've been covered quite a bit of ground on all the islands, and I just like to think of them as happy places and places to relax and enjoy nature, not places where torture happened. It's, you know, you try and find a tie between the pornography operations operating at the time and our kids. And I think it explains a lot. It explains if they were you know, caught up and used as pawns. Author Marnie Keenan. It would explain why it was so well hidden, because power and money can make a lot of things go away. That said, I, I don't know that there's a real strong connection between what was going on on Fox Island and our kids. Keenan says our kids, because that's how close she is to Timmy King's dad, Barry, and his family, and how close she is to this entire case. She's looked at this thing frontwards and backwards. Birmingham in 1977 was the epicenter of the Oakland County child killer investigation. The task force was getting more new information than ever before. For instance, if we get a uh, very hot tip it will be immediately given a tip number. Theories and strategies were becoming unorthodox. This is Oakland County Executive Brooks Patterson. This one psychiatrist said, we're finding these kids along the edge of the road like a squirrel dropping nuts, all right? So the next killing is going to take place on Squirrel Road. The police late, you know, staked out Squirrel Road for 24, 30 days, 24 hours a day and AMC Gremlins took center stage. Brooks actually suspended the Fourth Amendment in Oakland County while this investigation was going on. If you drove a gremlin in Oakland County, you're getting pulled over and the car was getting searched. 
and the next shattered. But it seems like every time I get one piece of information, it raises two more questions. Well, one of the reasons it's a, it's a problem is because they have, they don't have the, the, they are emotionally involved, okay? Uh, they, they want that answer. Uh, we would love to give them that answer. It's not something I'm capable of doing. If you had a blue gremlin in this area during this time, uh, your name was Mud because people thought you were the killer. So never forget and keep your eyes and ears open. It could save a child's life. Maybe yours, maybe mine. Robert Vito News 4 at the Adams School, Birmingham. If you have information about the case, please tell investigators. It can be reached at 833-784-9425. That's the tip line. And we want to hear your personal stories about the Oakland County Child Killer, if you have them. Call us and share at 313-223-2237. I want to thank Michael Moyes, Kathy Firestone, Michael Dunsmore, Faye Marie Ness, Joan Kelchick-Tenbrock, Marnie Keenan, Brooks Patterson, Barry King, and Jessica Cooper. And a big thanks to Fresh Air Aviation, who flew us to the island. I also want to recognize the outstanding help from Anastasia Klimovitz, Joe Prince, and Tad Davis for their help during all the interviews. Zach Rosen, who helps produce the show. Kenny Elshoff for his help with the website, which looks great. Mary Wallace and the crew at the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State. Dave Birch, who made it possible to record all the film and the audio. Kevin Dietz for his help along the way. And Ro Coppola, the executive producer of Special Projects. Our team also produced a five-part docuseries on the story. And if you want to see the faces of the kids, Christine, Jill, Mark, and Timmy, you can see them at shatteredpodcast.com. Until next time. <laughs>